Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Okay, we're going to continue now in another session on um, our study of marriage. This one's going to be focused on the issues of sex and children. We all know the children come from sex, but they are separate issues that we will discuss separately. Um, you know, it was kind of funny because we started our, our, our discussion section by talking about well, what does it mean to render to the end of the things that they need? And immediately the discussion of sex came up because they were like, well, they need sex. And guys, of course, we, everybody who's married knows this. Men need sex. They need it generally more than women do. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I don't. I, I think I think studies and people would disagree with you, but uh, <laughs> depends on the person. Uh, <laughs> um, but here, here's here's the great news. First, regarding regarding sex, is that God has made a beautiful place for sex to happen. It is in the confines of marriage. Like marriage is where this beautiful thing, this fun thing gets to happen. And I think in, in certain ways, we actually kind of need to celebrate that a little bit more as Christians. Like we have this great gift, but we know where the gift is supposed to be celebrated. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of, of, of studies about uh, sexual fulfillment, but generally speaking, in, in monogamous marriages... And specifically in religious marriages, so people who have relationship with God, and of course I'm not getting into all the different faiths, but that's generally where the sexual satisfaction is the highest. It's the highest. And then the end of the, end of the road is where sexual fulfillment and problems, where problems increase and fulfillment goes down south. It's where people are trading partners and they're not committed to each other. And that's because one of the great keys to good, a good sex life is trust. That's one of the most important things. In fact, sex life really is kind of something that is, is, that, that is a reflection of the relationship itself. If the relationship is going well, generally speaking, the sex life goes well. If the relationship is going bad, same thing. And here we have to just point out this wonderful fact. God is a genius. <laughs> he is a, he's a genius. He knew that for the wife and the husband to come together and to be in a sexual union, that for that to go well, their relationship and all those things we've talked about before, all the foundational things about the wife rendering to her husband, about the husband rendering to his wife, if all those things are going well, the sex goes really well as well. I just said the word well, I think, way too many times. <laughs> Very, well. Very well. Oh, that's okay. It's all well. Um, and I think we have to remember that if there are problems that are happening within your, your sex life, um, within your marriage, and of course, if you're not married, don't do it because it's the wrong thing to do. And I shouldn't have to point that out, but I probably should actually. So I'm just going to state it there. Um, this sex only is supposed to happen between a man 
and a woman in holy matrimony. That's, that used to be something that you would think people would just knew, but nowadays you have to like almost like present the most common basic things. It's like, can we just all be on the same page about this simple truth? Because we need to say that. Um, but he gave it because, because a good sex life requires boundaries. Boundaries. And I, I love this I love this saying about the, the differences between men and women. We talked about that with the points. We talked about that with the, the issue of the curses and what they have to do with. This is generally how it kind of works. Men become more emotional or emotionally connected through sex. And women become more sexual through emotion. Do you see how that works? If the rendering is happening, then... Sex happens. It's like it's part of the process. It's, it's woven in there. There is this, um, there's this great thing that we have in our cars. When you first buy a car and you open up the, dr- the glove box, and it's called the owner's manual. I've re- I referenced this before, right? And in the owner's manual, you have all the things that you need in order to take care of that car, right? You need to change the oil at this time. Uh, you need to get the timing belt. We're about, I'm about to have to get a timing belt replaced and the water pump. Um, you need to make sure that you have the fluids checked. You need to make sure that you have enough um, you know, stuff in your radiator, et cetera, et cetera. If you read over that book and you were like, what? It, it says I shouldn't redline the engine to over 9,000 RPMs for more than like 30 seconds. And then you concluded, they're trying to keep me from having fun. Would I have the correct assumption of that? No, they're trying to make sure that the thing will last longer, that it has longevity. They're saying, they say, don't go this far. Don't push the engine so far because then the whole thing will bust. The same thing is true for us with the rules of relationship and the rules in how sex works in marriage. If we try to push the boundaries of these things, if we try to make it happen in the wrong way, you cause damage to the relationship. You cause damage to the other person. And the evil one is particularly good at getting people to have the wrong idea when it comes to sex and to sexuality and with specifically in the marriage. The evil one will come very, very sneakily, and he will come and he will, he will tempt you in different ways in this respect. Generally speaking, men are more tempted towards the kind of redlining of what we call pornography, which means that you will be fulfilled sexually by some kind of fantasy or some kind of thing that actually doesn't exist. For women, their temptation usually tends to be a kind of overly romanticized view of relationship. So for example, like a Hallmark movie is basically kind of like, sometimes is like porn for a woman. There you go. Some, that, that, that's, even, that's, that's even further out there as far as what I've heard. <clears throat> but we have to realize that we all have, we're all going to be tempted in some way to go beyond the boundary by trying to satisfy the way you think it should go. Women have a completely different way of looking at that than, than men do. And if you give in to those things, and both of them are basically fantasies. Fantasy is, will, will ruin your sex life. Let's just put it bluntly. Fantasy 
will ruin your sex life. For the woman, that the husband has to act a certain way and be like Mr. Charming all the time in order for you to be and feel loved is a fantasy. It's not going to happen. That doesn't exist. And for the husband to think that his wife is going to somehow be like some kind of bimbo in a, in a, in a porno or in, in some kind of some kind of like overly sexualized fashion is not going to happen because that's not the way they are. It's a fantasy. But we all have the role of making sure that we, that, that we don't allow ourselves to entertain fantasy. But we, we have to draw it back and be like, okay, what does make this relationship work? It's, it's, it's the law of love. It's the law of rendering affection to each other. And when you do that, then... The sex happens quite naturally because it's a meeting of the two. And again, I I said this before, but I'm going to say this once again because I think it's a really important thing for us to understand. Men become more emotional through sex, more willing to talk and, and talk about relationship and kind of be close. Women become more sexual through emotion. If the man is, is, is doting on his wife, she will become more sexual through that process or more kind of open to it, so to speak. If the husband is, 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 being, is being given the sex that he needs, he will then become more relational or more emotive, more talking, more feeding what the woman needs. And so it creates this wonderful balance between those two things. If you're having a problem in sex life, go back to the leaning triangle. The problem isn't sex. The problem is, where are you with the Lord? Where are you in how you're giving to your spouse? Now, the next topic is children. The, the goal of children, let's turn uh, to the Italian prophet, Malachi. I forget who's been telling me that recently, but it's stuck in my head. So this is Malachi chapter 2. <laughs> is it, somewhere, somebody around here keeps saying that. Do you guys, you guys remember who it is? Is it, is it Mike? It might be Mike. For real. Yeah, it might be. It might be. Actually, I don't think, I don't think it is, but they, they would say something like that. <clears throat> so what's the goal with children? You know, in, in the... Actually, we're going to hold our place there for a second. All right, so I'm going to turn back to, to, to Psalms. I remember this, this psalm struck me a little while ago. If I can find it. Oh, that's going the wrong way. It's the one about, behold, children are heritage from the Lord. You guys know what it's like? I think it's in the 120s or something. It's one of the psalms of ascent, the psalms that they used to sing when they were heading up to Jerusalem for the feast days. Oh, here it is, Psalm 127. This is is one of the most beautiful psalms. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. And then here is the verse I'm looking for. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver 
full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And for those of you who have, have children or have had children and they're now grown, those of you who would want children, know this, that at some point that child in your life will drive you absolutely bonkers. <laughs> absolutely crazy. And you'll have to come back and you'll have to remind yourself. I remember uh, maybe a couple months ago, I, I was reading through this and I had to be like, Lord, your word says that my children are a heritage from you. Help me to see them the way you see them. And I, I, I'm speaking kind of facetiously now, but I'm serious. I was kind of having a rough day or two and they were driving me batty. And all that to say is, you know, when you come back and you reset yourself with the Lord's perspective of kids, the Lord's perspective of marriage, the Lord's perspective on anything, that's where wisdom and power come. And so we have to have the right perspective on, on children, and we have to see them in this beautiful way, this, this idea of this, the heritage and that they are, are fruit and like arrows for a warrior. They're like indispensable. Like if a warrior went out and they didn't have, if they were an archer, obviously, if they didn't have arrows, they would feel like they couldn't do anything. And this is saying quite the opposite, that children are like arrows. They are the things that are going to allow you to actually do more to defend and all this kind of stuff. Anyhow, let's go back now to Malachi. To Malachi. (laughs) To Malachi. So that's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi 2. And we're given this beautiful... Uh, um, understanding of of the purpose of children and the goal with children, just as, just as marriage has a goal of of being of showing Christ in the church and the husband and the wife, so children have a goal as well. Um, Two fifteen, and it says here, but did he not make them one? And this is actually in the middle, big, in the middle of a big rebuke that the Lord is 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 is. Uh, uh, is telling his people because they've gotten so many things wrong, and he's telling them. But did he not make them one? He's speaking of marriage, having a remnant of the spirit, and why one? Basically, and and why would he put two together to form one? What's the point of this union? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of. His youth, and then it goes on to talk about the Lord God of Israel says that He hates divorce and all these things about how the Jews at that time were they were they were they were messing up, they were getting it wrong. And so, what a beautiful thing it is to be reminded about children from that beautiful perspective of Psalm one twenty seven, as well as here in Malachi chapter two verse fifteen that He says, "Why did I make them one? Why am I putting them together?" It's because he seeks godly offspring. He wants godly children. Now, you know that children have to kind of have to find their way in the world. They have to have their own relationship with Christ. There is no spiritual grandchildren. You guys have probably heard that statement before, right? Everybody has to have their own relationship with the Lord. Nevertheless, children have a great advantage. With, if, if they have Christian parents, because their, their parents can show them so many things about how to have the relationship with Christ. And they can see from you this beautiful thing of what a godly and Christ-honoring marriage actually looks like. I, I grew up in a home that I would say was a 
a, a backwards relationship. My mom more or less led, my dad kind of followed, and, and there were tons of problems that happened because they didn't have the basic foundations right. And I remember those early, those early classes I mentioned before about a class I had on marriage. I remember other things where I was just learning as a new Christian. I got saved when I was about 21. And it just radically changed my perspective on so many things. I was like kind of like swimming in new information. I was like, really? That's how it's supposed to go? And well, that's, that's how uh, husbands and wives are supposed to be. And I began to look at my upbringing. And I began to look at my parents and all this kind of stuff. And, and Lord bless them. I mean, I, I love my parents, but they missed out on some really key foundational things. And one of the things that I missed out on because of that was an understanding for myself as a kid what marriage is really supposed to look like. You see, kids need to see from you a successful marriage. Why? Not just so that they can be happy and taken care of, but so that they will learn what that looks like. And the research shows that kids are most happy when their parents have a secure relationship. You want to see a kid that's kind of free and fancy and able to, and just kind of, maybe sometimes they'll seem kind of off the wall, but they're like, you know, generally happy-go-lucky? It's because they're in a home where everything is secure. They feel like they can kind of, they feel free. Kids pick up on the quality of your relationship. They pick on they If mom and dad are fighting, guess what goes on in their little hearts? Insecurity. Doubt. They wonder if it's them. You know, it's crazy. You see movies about this kind of stuff, but it's so true. When, when people experience such things as divorce, most often the question that the kids have is not, um, what happened to you? Their question is this, what did I do? Those little hearts, they, they, they take these things in. And they're learning about what a correct relationship was or what a correct relationship is so that they can then replicate that when they get older. I don't know about you guys, but I pray for my, my children's future spouses quite a lot. And I remember hearing this one particular um, radio show and this woman was talking about, she was, uh, I think probably in her 50s or 60s, her, her, her children had grown up they had met um, their, their, uh, their, their spouse. They had gotten married. And they were talking about that process. And they were talking about, well, it's really important. You know, she was giving advice. She was like, it was really important to pray for your children's future spouse. And they talked about that. And I was like, oh, that really makes a lot of sense. But then she went a step further. And when they were talking about the dating relationship that her children were having, she said, well, how then did you know? He's like, well, she said, well, it was rather easy. I had been praying and asking for this certain person. So when that person that matched what I had been praying for came into my son's life or came into my daughter's life, she recognized it. Guys, what a beautiful testimony is that? That you're so involved in that process through prayer that you would actually be able to know, or at least hopefully know, what it is that that spouse for your child would look like. That is a high call, but a beautiful call for parents. Now, another important thing about children is that children should never be more important in the house 
than the husband and wife and their relationship. Your relationship with the husband and wife has to be the second most important relationship in the house because your first most important relationship is each of you with the Lord. Marriage is always second, though, right? Always second and always higher than children. Where people get into a lot of problems is that they begin to take the concerns and the needs of the children as higher or more important than the needs of the marriage. That is backwards. Why? Because raising children, even as long as it takes, sometimes 18 years, sometimes 26, sometimes 34, is temporary. doesn't feel temporary, right? There's a saying I've learned recently that says, in, especially with parenting, like the, the days are long, but the years are short. You, you kind of get through the end of the day and you're like, you know, and then the laundry's there still, right? Like I talked about before. Children are temporary. They're a beautiful thing. They're a blessing, but they're not as important as your marriage. And the thing that they need the most is a model of what this is supposed to look like. And they need you praying for their future spouse so that you can actually... Um, show them and, and help them to prepare. Now, unity in the house, parents and children, and those of you who have, have kids, you, you know this, a child with their sin proclivity will try to get in between a husband and a wife. But mom said, da, 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 da. But dad said, da, 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 da. did you ask your father? Did you ask your mother? Well, no, but these are the things that happen. So it's very important for parents to understand that you are in charge of presenting unity in the house between the two of you. How do you do that? Number one, you're going to have disagreements but you shouldn't have your disagreements in front of your children. Okay? Let's say in a hypothetical situation. A kid wants to go somewhere after school on a Friday. The mom says, sure. The husband comes home and says, what? I didn't know about that. No. Oh, what's going to happen? What should happen at that point? My opinion is that this should happen. What dad says goes in that moment because he is the authority of the house. But if the wife disagrees with that, she talks to him about it later behind closed doors. And you work out the relational issues of, well, this is why I agreed to that or this is why I wanted it that way. And you work out, so the next time that this happens, make sure you call me so that we can be on the same page because that's the goal. But there will be times where there are disagreement, but you cannot let those disagreements form disunity because when they see you arguing with each other and disagreeing with each other, that's their clue. Oh, that's how this works. So I can get what I want by getting in between mom and dad. Very important to rule against that. It's the only time where there's where such a thing as a good two-headed monster, right? The kind of husband and wife together, unified front. <clears throat> the second thing is 
in making the decisions. There has to be a, a time and a place where both are able to say their say. My opinion on this is such and such. Going to school, which school are they supposed to go to? What is our church life supposed to look like? What is our social life going to look like? There's going to be differences because you're different people. You have different likes, you have different dislikes. Both have to have a chance to have a voice, okay? I'm a big fan of, of male leadership. That does not mean you get to determine what happens all the time. It means you listen to all the voices in the home, then you put that before the Lord, and you, Lord, you say, Lord, give me wisdom. I know what I would like. Can you tell me? My wife tells me, and she has told me very, very often, um, I know that you're going to make a decision. If I know that you're going before the Lord, then I can have a peace about it. But if she can't trust you that you are going to just, you're, you're not going to listen to her, that her opinion does not matter as you are taking that godly authority in your home, she's not going to have any peace about it because you're not before the Lord. You're not showing that you're under authority. See, both parts have to be under authority. That's how this whole thing works. The wife has to be under the authority of the husband. The husband has to keep himself under the authority of the Lord. If both are not happening, that's where disagreements and skepticism creep in and they begin to undermine the foundations of the marriage. So make sure that when decisions, especially important decisions, are being made, that both have a place, a venue, where they can say their concerns. And then you guys either make a decision together, if you're on the same page, or if you disagree, say, we're going to take this before the Lord, see what he says, talk again, okay? If you don't have clarity on it, if you're not sure what, what's, what's, then don't make a decision about it yet. Sometimes people make decisions also just too rashly, especially regarding children and what they should do. And here's the last thing. Honor each other in front of your children. This is so huge. This is yet another one of those areas that people make a lot of mistakes on. Honor before your children's eyes. Let's say the wife makes an offhand comment when the children are home. Your father is a fool. I don't know why he decided this and this. He should have known better. Well, she, she might be right in a certain way that, that the husband did something foolish. Husbands do foolish things. I've done foolish things a lot. <laughs> but the problem is that's the wrong place to talk about that. Guys, if your spouse does something wrong, this is where you deal with that. On your knees. You take it before the Lord. Not saying you can't talk to them about it, but you go to the Lord with that thing. You don't disparage them in front of the kids. Because guess what your children will do once they learn that disparaging mom or dad is allowed? You think that's going to increase or decrease? Increase. Have you ever been around kids who don't mind saying flippant things about their parents? Oh, that drives me nuts. Drives me absolutely nuts. Well, it's because most likely they've been shown that that's the pattern within their own home. 
They've been, they've been shown that it's okay to talk bad about mom. It's okay to talk bad about dad. And so they learn. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. And this is the last thing for tonight. Despite all these principles and trying to follow them and the issue of honoring and the issue of, of training and stuff, is that there is, it's impossible that you will go through the process of child rearing without hard days or even hard seasons. And there can be a sense, I think, sometimes this idea of like, well, this one's just too much. This particular thing we're going through is just, is just, is just too hard. I just don't I just don't have it in me to to keep to keep praying through this, to keep working on this. And and maybe there'll be times even in your marriage where you'll have that sense, like I just I can't I can't keep going on this way. It's it's driving me nuts. And here's my encouragement to you. Just as with the proverb and the promising of training up a child and the old he will not depart from that's not that's not a principle that is ironclad that means every child who hears of Christ in the right ways is going to choose that way. Right? We, we know this from Scripture. We know this from personal experience. But it doesn't mean you're not supposed to do the job of the training. You are not allowed to just give up when a season is hard. And that's, this is what I want to say to encourage you. If you're in a hard season of parenting, if you're in a hard season of marriage, don't give up. I'll leave you with this last illustration. The difference between the devil and the Lord. The devil loves to take a quick snapshot when things are not good. He takes one picture, right? Have you ever been at a party and somebody took a picture of you, but you weren't like ready for it and you just look like a complete doofus in the picture? The devil loves to take that one picture and convince you that the whole party, and you in particular, had a terrible time, that you looked bad, that you never had fun, and that you didn't even get any food. He takes a single snapshot and projects to you, this is your future. There it is, that one, that one bad photo, that one messed up season, that one tough time. That's your future. It's always going to be that way. That's how the devil works. This is not the way that the Lord works. The Lord, what does it say of his mercy? His mercy is new every morning. He doesn't take the last snapshot of, of your mistake and then parade it before you. He just says, look, let me take that for you. Here, how about I give you some mercy instead? He encourages us to keep walking through a hard season, a season of loss, a season of trial, a season where things are not going all that smoothly. And he says, hey, why don't you come to me? I have a new batch of mercy for you. So you got to remember, when you're, when you're tempted in those hard seasons, 
to look at that snapshot, that's just that one moment or that one series week, that, that one bad week, or maybe even that one bad month. And he says, your whole life like that. Know who you're listening to and you're thinking about in that moment. You're not listening to the voice of the Lord. You're listening to the evil one. That's how he works. And that's how you know, oh, I have to reject that. I have to push that away and make sure I'm not defining my marriage or my parenting by that one moment. If I let every bad moment of parenting define me as a parent, I would stop yesterday. <laughs> I would stop yesterday because it's hard. And I've learned a ton, and I have a lot left to learn. My kids are 10, 7, and 5. The minute I think, hey, I think this is kind of going well, you know, crash and burn, you know, get back up again. His mercy is new every morning. His mercy is new every morning. So be encouraged. If you're going through a hard season of loving, going through a hard season with children, know that the Lord knows that you're going through it, and he has mercy compassion on you but the one job you have even as you go through that hard season is that triangle lean on the Lord lean on the Lord with all of your heart with all of your mind with all of your strength and he will give you the mercy that you need let's pray Heavenly Father um, thank you Thank you so much that your mercy is new every morning. Lord, where would we be if we couldn't have forgiveness again from you and refreshness to have our, our errors wiped clean, Lord? You are the Lord who as we lean and learn to lean upon you, will we'll never falter in supporting us. You will always be the one that we can lean upon. And so I pray here for all these listening, Lord, for their marriages. I pray for them as parents, Lord. Would you water in these principles by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them? to equip them, Lord, to have beautiful marriages, ones that look like Christ and the church. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.